Welcome to the Pi Sigma Epsilon podcast, where we bring you the business advantage for life in the time that it takes to walk to class or drive to work. I'm Daniel Schultz, the Collegiate Vice President of Pi Sigma Epsilon and President of the Epsilon Epsilon Chapter at Ball State University. And I'm Kristen Pearson, Director of Member Services at the Pi Sigma Epsilon National Headquarters. And so today we're going to be talking about something. And Daniel, I want to, I have a, I have a puzzle for you. So can you tell me what all of these people have in common? Tina Fey, Maya Angelou, Tom Hanks, Oprah, Seth Godin, Meryl Streep, Serena Williams, and Lady Gaga all have in common? I was going to say they were all actors until you added some of those last few. (laughs) Uh, I do not know other than that they all tend to be celebrities. Yeah, so they're all celebrities. And generally, they're some of the people that are at the top of whatever they're doing, you know, in each of Mm -hmm. their um, expertises. But the thing that I think is very interesting is that all of these people have suffered from or talk about openly imposter syndrome. So I was hoping this would be something we could talk about today on the podcast, because I feel like it's affecting more people than we know or that we care to share. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think I would definitely agree. A lot of people that I've spoken to, especially in places such as PSE, where there is that high standard of excellence, people can Mm -hmm. feel like they have to produce top quality all the time. And it's not necessarily always in their wheelhouse. And so I think this would be a great thing to talk about uh, how to navigate those thought processes. Yeah, I like that you said that because I actually, I, so I was looking up some stuff for this and this conversation and um, I found a quote from Howard Schultz. And if you don't know who Howard Schultz is, he is the founder of the most amazing company in the world to me, um, Starbucks. He said, very few people, whether they've been in that job before or not, get into the seat and believe today that they're not qualified to be the CEO. And they're not going to tell you that, but it's true. And it's funny because it's some, it's something so interesting that Howard Schultz, you know, the founder of a company that is known worldwide is even talking about the imposter syndrome and how he didn't know what he was doing or didn't feel that he was qualified to be the CEO. And it's something that all of us kind of look at Starbucks and feel like they have it all together. You know, they know what they're doing. They're always growing. Um, It's one of those constant brands you always hear about when it's talking about consistency. And I just thought that was really interesting. And it's so funny that you could bring it all the way down to a personal level. So we are not anywhere near Howard Schultz, um, but we can feel the same things that he's feeling. So whether you can replace that quote with CEO with like director of member services or president of your Pi Sigma Epsilon chapter, it's, I feel like we're all kind of feeling the same thing. And so today I kind of wanted to just talk about some, maybe just real life examples of how this works and um, some ways that we can combat imposter syndrome. Daniel, is there anything that you've kind of experienced in your life that you're like, that was like an imposter syndrome moment? I absolutely think there was. I went to a summer camp. I think a lot of people go to different camps. I went Mm -hmm. to a summer camp for many years. uh, And it's a place that I still hold very near and dear to my heart. And I was a camper there for probably six or seven years before I got to the point where I could be a counselor. And that was my goal for the longest time. I really Mm -hmm. looked up to my counselors. I enjoyed being around them. And I wanted to do that. But when I got to the point where I actually was a counselor, 
it felt like there were so many different variables that I had to keep track of. Little kids can be really hard to corral. There's a lot yeah. of rules. You can't be alone with them. So there's a lot of different things to keep in mind. And I just felt like I wasn't qualified for it. I mm-hmm. really enjoy being with kids. I'm good at it, but I still felt like I didn't know what I was doing. I shouldn't be here. There were people that have worked at this camp longer than me that should be doing what I'm doing. Um, And so that was a really hard thing for me to navigate. But because of the group that we had there, I was able to kind of discuss that and learn from them. But I've definitely experienced that in a number of circumstances. Yeah, I remember going back to applying for jobs. I think this is one where a lot of people really experience the imposter syndrome. So it's like when you apply for jobs, there's a lot of times we'll look at the requirements and maybe not apply to one that we absolutely love the opportunity because there's one or two things on the requirements that doesn't describe us exactly. And the big one is always years of experience. Um, Amazingly, I've never been to a job interview and they made me verify my experience by and measure it by the day. They measure it by what you can do. And to them, they're just putting a number on years um, because that's what in general, maybe someone needs that much to have learned the things, but you know, your ability to do a job or to learn how to do a job has nothing to do with the year you were born. Um, I think imposter syndrome only holds us back when we let our self-confidence dip. And I was listening to a podcast recently and they were talking about this and they said that imposter syndrome really, you know, kind of rears its ugly head a lot when our self-confidence is down. And I thought that was really interesting because I never, I had never put in those two together before. And I was like, yeah, I guess that's really true. I thought they were separate, like separate kinds of doubt, but they really are the same. So I just really loved that. And it like kind of opened my eyes and, you know, my experience, nothing has made me feel more like an imposter than when I started managing a team. So um, now that I'm the director of member services, all of a sudden I had people looking to me to teach them how to do things. And I started doubting myself because what if my way isn't the correct way to do something? Or what if it's not the most efficient way? And what if they think my way was like stupid or something? But then I had to reframe my mind. And this is something I've learned since managing people for about a year now. Um, I had to remember one, my team is fantastic and smart and super capable. And then two, I had completed the task before. So me telling them how I had done it is just one way they could do it. Um, I let my team have the freedom that if you get the job done, who cares how you got there? Um, And who cares if it's the same exact way that I did it? So it was interesting for me just as a leader, because I was like, I can't do this. I can't be a leader. Like they shouldn't be looking up to me. You know, I've Googled how to figure out everything I've done. And (laughs) then like, they could do that too, but I'm still here and I've still completed the tasks, you know? Sure. (laughs) I think that one way that that, really is relatable for a lot of people is exactly how you mentioned with the years of experience mm-hmm. in that uh, for those of you listening, if you are members of Pi Sigma Epsilon or not, there's different experiences that you've had that are worth value. They might not be traditional, a year of sales experience, but a lot of the different companies and recruiters and executives that I've talked to and had the experience to meet with share once they've heard about this Pi Sigma Epsilon experience and the different projects that a lot of chapters host and that a lot of chapters and Mm -hmm. people take use of, 
is that that can qualify for that experience. You might not have, Kristen, as you mentioned <clears throat> on paper, the actual years of experience, but if you've had these experiences project managing or being the, the VP of HR where you managed different groups of people and had to teach them up and had to learn how to sell the business fraternity or in your other club, you might've had a different leadership position that you sold on a lot of different things. That can qualify as that experience. And in some instances, I've had these people tell me these recruiters, these VPs tell me, no, that definitely counts as a year of experience. That could count as two years of experience, what you've been mm -hmm. doing. And I would be more than happy to give you an interview to talk about that. And so I think one of these things to combat that imposter syndrome, as you mentioned, Kristen, is relating it back to your personal experience. What have you experienced that can help you excel in this? You might not have personally sold medical devices, but if you've talked and sold in a way that relates to how they sell, mm -hmm. you can still use that experience to be applicable in that job interview. Right. And I feel like no one goes into a job or anything knowing exactly what to do. Um, there's always so many variables. You know, you could be in a position at one, you could be in sales at one company and then go to another company. You have no idea what you're doing at that next one, you know? And so I like that we started getting into how to combat it. And I have like six things on a list of ways that you can combat imposter syndrome. Um, but the one thing I wanted to say before we get into that is, Another thing I've heard is that like you have imposter syndrome because your standards are so high that you don't feel like you measure up. So what you should do, and this kind of goes into the first one, is ask someone who has no idea about what you do and ask them if you are that. So for example, um, I do a lot of graphic design. If you ask my dad, if I'm a graphic designer, he'll say, yes, absolutely. She's the best. And he has no idea. And, but like, but my standards of graphic designers and who I follow and who I look up to, I'm nowhere near their level, but to him mm -hmm. who has literally no experience and no, um, doesn't even have like a mind that thinks that way, you know, it, to him, I am that thing. So the first thing I want to say to on how to combat it is ask somebody. So ask them about your work, ask them about, you know, um, how they perceive you or how they perceive something that you've done. And then I think that'll be really enlightening when someone's like so impressed by something you did and you're just like, Oh, I just did that on my free time. And you're, you made it look easy and then maybe it is easy to you, but it, that's not easy to everybody else. So you're not I, an imposter. I think that's an amazing point to bring up. One, two things come to mind is when you look at professional athletes, mm, swimming, mm -hmm. for instance, if you're familiar with swimming, you see Michael Phelps in the Olympics. Uh, I myself was a swimmer for a long time. One of the things that as a swimmer is if it looks like they're doing, a, it's really easy for them. They're probably doing a better job. If it yeah. looks like this person is just plowing through the water and pushing as hard as they can, they're probably not using the correct form that's making them the most efficient. Michael Phelps looks like he glides through the water because he's so good at what he does. If you look at people like in my, in my position as president, and a lot of you can probably resonate with this in different ways of your life, I'm not a creative type. I don't do graphic design. I don't do creation <laughs> like that. I can lead, I can sell. That's where I find my abilities. And so when I lean on my VP of PR or director of communications, things like that, I see what they do and I say, oh my gosh, that is so cool. And they go, oh, it's not that great, actually. I, I saw these <laughs> different flaws and I wouldn't see that. So 
just as Kristen mentioned, if you're dealing with this thought of maybe I'm not good enough, try delving into the topic with someone outside of the field, just as she mentioned, because they're going to be able to pump you up. And even if you aren't necessarily qualified, it can give you that boost of confidence to still go for it and to still strive for that goal. I love that because you actually just jumped down my list and you have, you're not even seeing my list. And so that's very exciting. Um, Another one I had on this was do not discount a compliment. Um, So saying thank you instead of, Oh no, it's really not that cool. Like you just said um, to a compliment saying thank you is one, the polite response Um, instead, but you know, saying, Oh no, is just kind of like discounting what they said. So never discount, um, you know, a compliment, never kind of push it away. And then something that I learned to do that I heard from someone that I've been doing for years now is to log the compliments you get. So if you have, even if it's just a one-off sentence in an email that someone says like, great work, this was really impressive, I save all of those. And then whenever I'm having one of those days that, you know, maybe I'm not feeling like the top of my game or that maybe someone else should be doing this because I'm not good enough, um, I'll go to those. And I remember specifically when I was a chapter consultant for Pi Sigma Epsilon, you know, my my job was to travel around to different universities and just check in and see how they're doing. And I had, I had an email and I still have it printed up and it's on my wall to this day. It was four years ago. She talked about how through me, the chapter was talking more. They were finally communicating better and they couldn't have done it without me. And in my head, like, no, they definitely could have, but I was like, that's so nice of her to have said that. And so I still have that to this day. And whenever I'm like feeling low about maybe I can't talk to chapters anymore, I'll read that and say, and remind myself that I, I did it. So make sure you're keeping a list. Um, just even if you write it down, it might seem corny, but have like a note page in your phone that if someone says to you something in person, write it down as soon as you have a moment alone. And so you can always go back and um, relook at those. Um, the next one I have is to reframe, reframe failure as a learning opportunity. And I think this is something that's really important that everyone should be doing, no matter if you have identified a feeling of imposter syndrome or not. But, you know, it's always what fail fast, fail, like fail, you know, quickly or whatever. And fail so hard, learn fast. Yeah. Yes. Like- you know, look at everything like a learning opportunity. If you're not really great at something, that means you have to go up. You know, Beyonce wasn't the world's greatest singer when she was born, you know, she had to take singing lessons. She had to learn all the other things, you know, we all have to learn and get our way up there. And so having a setback or having a failure shouldn't stop someone. Um, And unfortunately it does a lot. So this, you know, sometimes can get to people. One of the good ways to tie that to what you also had just shared previously is that a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of the successful business people that we look up to did experience failure. They did experience being turned down a lot. And many of them are expressive about that and share their stories about how they received a denial letter. Maybe it was Mm -hmm. from a university they wanted to get to, or if it was an entrepreneur from a bank that they needed a loan from and they keep that and then they get successful and they use that to keep their fire lit. Use those failures and those learning opportunities to keep yourself motivated to get better. Because maybe in that moment, the imposter syndrome, maybe you aren't yet qualified. But as Kristen mentioned, you can learn to be more qualified. And seeing that will just keep you that much more on top of your game. Mm -hmm. And that goes into number four, which is remind yourself that it's not normal to know everything. Um, no one knows everything. We all have different experiences and, and backgrounds. So just always keep that in mind. I'm not going to go too far into that, but you know, it's just, no one knows it all. You don't have to. 
Um, number five, I would say is accept that you have some role in your successes. So a lot of people, the main thing about imposter syndrome is everyone blames luck for how they got there. Um, but to me, being at the right place at the right time is more of a skill than luck. Mm -hmm. You know, you did the things to get you there, whether it is literally you got out of bed and walked to a certain location, you still did that. So you deserve um, the successes that, that you that you're having and you know, you had something to do with it. Um, I think that's one of the big things is just that acceptance and that mindset. Um, and then the last one I kind of, kind of already said, but um, to make it official is just to stop comparing yourself to your hero. Um, and this goes back to the Michael Phelps thing. I think that was a brilliant analogy. Um, don't compare yourself to him just because, you know, he's the most decorated Olympian of all time, right? You could fact check me on that one, yeah. but I'm pretty sure that's the thing is, you know, he's the most decorated one. Like you don't have to be that in order to call yourself a swimmer, you know, um, Chrissy Wright. So that's someone that I look up to. She's an entrepreneur. She's part of the Ramsey personalities. She always says, you know, if, if you sign up for a 5k, don't call yourself, don't say that you're not a runner and that you can't do it. Like if, even if you walk it and you just jog a little bit, you're still a runner. You don't have to run a four minute mile in order to be a runner. You're out there, you're doing it. It's literally just a physical thing that you're doing. You don't have to be the best to call yourself a runner. So I think it's really important for us to, you know, bring these kind of lessons to everybody and bring, shine some light on them because we all are feeling it. And I think a lot of people just don't want to talk about it. Yeah. yeah, I really appreciate you bringing this uh, topic to light, just as you mentioned, Kristen, that people do need to hear about this. And you may not necessarily always be able to reach out to myself or to Kristen, she might be busy, but reach out to those people in your circle and in your life that you have as mentors, that you have as peers that you trust and get feedback on this. Because one of the things that failure does best at is it does best when you dwell alone. It grows mm. when you're alone. And so if you let mm -hmm. yourself be alone process, it's only going to make it worse. So by reaching out to others, even if you aren't qualified, you can get that perspective that can help lift you out of that rut that you're in and get you to a better place. So I absolutely would encourage you to take what you've heard today and use it to the absolute best of your ability. So let's just end this on um, a quote from the civil rights activist, author, poet, and Nobel laureate, Maya Angelou. Um, she is famous for saying this quote, and I love it. Her quote is, I've written 11 books, but each time I think, uh-oh, they're going to find out now. I've run a game on everybody, and they're going to find me out. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.